0: I want to ask you a question right now. Yes. And it is, this is a comic show. This is a comics podcast. Uh, Pacific Northwest Premier pop culture podcast. Two buddies right now really getting this thing going. But before we get into the comic talk, we've been talking about uh, duos right there for a second. Now I got to ask you, musically, favorite power trio? Now, three of them immediately come to mind for me. One I kind of think is your guess yes. is your favorite yes, but it is. <laughs> i'm curious um favorite trio musician group go
1: Ooh, well favorite that's probably the one you're thinking of is rush
0: yeah it's gotta be rush
1: um and i'm trying to think who are the other like tr- trio groups was it was cream a trio
0: yep cream is one of the three i was thinking of yeah and yeah. then the the ever grungy nirvana
1: are they considered a trio wasn't yeah. there usually four of them
0: um There was a fourth drummer, or sorry, a fourth guitar player early on in the touring of Bleach, and then they fired him in the middle of a tour, and then it was just three people until they began the tour of In Utero, and so they're they're pretty famously a trio. Okay, Um, yeah, they brought on Pat Smear from the Germs as a backup guitar player for the In Utero tour. Um, But Cream was the other one I was thinking of
1: yeah which uh, you i mean we were talking earlier in the week about that it's about un- unfortunately because uh because of eric clapton being right. a ju- being being a jerk but cream was still it was fantastic and so <gasps> is ginger baker
0: i don't think he's yeah. notoriously an anti-vaccine racist he's just a horrible asshole before he died
1: yeah um and who was the third guy in cream you know the bass player yeah <laughs> was it it wasn't steve it wasn't steve winwood no 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 know actually. <laughs>
0: To the perfectly acceptable podcast 239 239 podcasts And there's still a couple of them Early on in the first 10 That are not available But I do have the raw audio for I'm just afraid to listen to them That's right (laughs) That social anxiety is your cue to recognize That Jeff Figley is here on the Papcast Talking to you Accompanied as always By the wonderful and beautiful
1: Oh me, Roman (laughs) (laughs) Statler Two man band Or like the Blue Man group, but fewer and whiter. Or like that other, uh, it's gone now. I thought that, wasn't there some famous like X number of guys band?
0: Um, I think you're thinking of Three Doors Down's song Kryptonite, which is about Superman. Oh. Oh, No, you're not, obviously.
1: No, Um, maybe, I, I think I was. I think I saw him at the triple door.
0: That would have been crazy if you've seen Three Doors Down. Oh, that was a funny joke. (laughs) That was a joke. (laughs) That was good. Um, Before we get into the comic top, I just want to mention, I went and saw um, Candyman the other day. And when I looked at the Regal, I just went like early afternoon and went and saw it alone because I was having a bad day. But when I looked at the screenings of showings (laughs) that were happening, there was a two-hour live Rush concert film that they were screening at the theater that day. What? Only for one day, and I was like, "That why? would be awesome to go to," um, but I yeah. did not go because I had uh, football later in the day. Um, so
1: I wonder um, why they were. Is it no... a new re- new release? Was was there some an- rush anniversary this week?
0: <laughs> Maybe. I also know they've just been doing kind of random runs of old movies and old things lately because um, there hasn't been a ton of movies coming out. That's right, everyone. You guessed it. Episode two hundred and thirty nine. <laughs> and writing in is Goodwill. Will well will well well Wilmer himself episode 239 area code 239 covers a large area of southwestern florida not quite the tip but close if florida is the penis of america then area code 239 is the foreskin of said penis that would have been removed sometime around 1776 Which leads me to my question this week. Where, I wonder, okay. Ignoring the obvious answer of Tom King's Batman run, what is your favorite comic run that was cut short just before it was able to reach its titillating and explosive climax? Did the ax coming down leave you feeling a bit numb and desensitized? Or do you feel like in the long run, it was a good thing and has allowed you to enjoy reading for longer periods of time and focus on the journey and not the finish line? Your friend and fellow Ted Lasbro, will will wilmer p.s <laughs> if you were to have a patreon i would want access to all the cut content, such as the roman nose whistles and the mythical 20 minutes of butthole talk i don't even remember the 20 minutes <laughs> of butthole talk i don't remember what that would be um but we, i believe we, it's out there
1: don't we have 20 minutes of butthole talk like every tuesday yeah <laughs> just doesn't work
0: that's true what run was famously cut short for you roman
1: oh man i these are such good questions. He always will come with really great question. questions, which unfortunately also on the spot, I, my mind goes blank. Right, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, geez. Um, I, 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 don't think it's like, and because my mind's a blank, the run of Roy Thomas's, uh, infinity incorporated, which was a spinoff of all-star squadron back in the, in the eighties that comes to mind. But it wasn't important at all, and it's not a big deal. But I was disappointed that it ended much before it was supposed to. Um, And now some of those characters are coming back because of Infinite Frontier, which we'll get to. But
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, I hate to cop out, but outside of the Tom King Batman run, I really can't think of a run that was cut short. I can think of publications of books that never got finished as like collections. Like I was talking with the book club today about the scalp paperbacks. They never collected those paperbacks. But in terms of single issues, I think I've been pretty lucky. I think canceling comics based on sales was a little bit more prominent in the like 80s 90s or maybe yeah. early 2000s than it is now i feel like they finish things for paperback length uh, when the pandemic hit the matt rosenberg hawkeye freefall run that i realized the Arton was ended like cut short but then they instead of publishing the final two issues did put a paperback that had those out uh in it but that's a really good question but i yeah. i haven't had a lot of things there's probably one really obvious one i'm forgetting but
1: That's what I'm thinking. There's probably something really obvious I can't think of now. Cause yeah, like you're like you say, I mean, I can think of ones um, in the seventies. Like I loved when I was a kid, secret society of supervillains, the first Mm -hmm. time they ever existed and the DC implosion happened in, I don't know, 77 or 78 when they just had too many titles coming out. And so they suddenly just axed a whole bunch of titles. And one of them was secret society of supervillains right in the middle of of a plot line. And like the, and this one never even appeared during that time. There was supposed to be a Gorilla Grodd miniseries and which was never published. And you can get some of the like uncolored pages were kind of printed in a mm. canceled comic cavalcade. But, but we saw the, the ads for it and everything. And it sounded great because it's like, oh, this is super intelligent, super gorilla who has mental con- uh, powers and can is trying to control America or the world or whatever that sounds like a really cool setup,
0: but I I would say Alan Moore's big numbers never finished. Oh, good one! Yeah, um, and I was talking to a customer about that just this week, and I think we'd be remiss if we did not mention on behalf of Django the third leg of this tri- tripod, whose Roman's Dong is standing in for today to make sure we are all able to oh. stand on these oh. three. Good um, work, you, <laughs> but uh. The shadow run that he loved so very much. The Halfer and Baker shadow run that never finished that he, uh, he loved and it got to a crazy issue. I forget exactly what happened in the crazy issue and Mm. they just, the sales were so low, they never finished it. So I would, uh, repping Django, our good friend and brother who is on a road trip right now uh, to visit some family in Colorado. um, I think that would be his answer.
1: Yeah. That, yeah, that that would have to be. Um, Other ones. uh, Yeah, no, other, other ones are coming to me, but that's just, you know, more 70s stuff. I wish Steve Gerber had not had his falling out with Marvel legally so he could have continued doing Howard the Duck because he wasn't done when he stopped doing it.
0: Oh, or if Mark Wade hadn't had a falling out with DC, what would he also well, have done? But I don't know if anything ended in the middle because of that. But yeah. you're right, everyone. We've got a list of books. And as Roman alluded to earlier, one of them, the first of them, in fact, is Infinite Frontier, number six. We're also going to be talking this week about Jeff Lemire's maze book, number one batman catwoman number uh, seven. Oh wow it feels like we're seven. further in the run than that but good calls it's seven uh we're talking about snelson comedy is dead number two bountiful gardens number one cinnamon one and two because i can't remember if we got to talk about cinnamon number one and dead box number one so that's that's what's on the docket for the day if anyone wants to get a hold of me within the next hour and a half while recording this and ask a question please do um but no one will have heard me say that so that's just the way things go. Uh, I do want to give a quick shout out to the comics place book club that met today. I I don't know. It's not, not, not comics place. Actually. It's the Bellingham book club, comic book book club that had an awesome gathering at one of the book club members today. The second one that we've done just an amazing group of people. That's what I was doing today. Had a big old, like a, like a pint of beer and um, that, ended up having some effect on my ability to read the rest of my books for the rest of the day. So we're going to be dealing with that as we talk about books, but just an amazing group of people. If you are listening to this, not in Bellingham finding people to talk about comics with, if you're hearing this in Bellingham, and you're not a part of that book club, reach out, let's get you in that book club. And if you're listening to this and you're a part of that book club, good on you. You're an amazing group of people. And then I also want to send out a lot of love to Andrew Carlson, Fotsworth extraordinaire, um, who got hit by a car on his way over there. And that sounds crazy, and it is crazy. He's all right. He made it to the gathering. But uh, quick recovery, your hands got scuffed, your head was a little uh, jumbled after a car hit, as anyone would be, and I'm just really, really glad that you're okay. So, Andrew, you're amazing. Um, keep on trucking on but watch out for those cars because
1: jeez louise yeah, apparently they're yeah. just going Yeah, geez. and what dedication he still like made it to book club so good he's
0: so good this was just a casual you know but scott made us sliders they were amazing um, great great group of stuff but infinite frontier joshua williamson art by zermanico i read this because i really like portions of what this story is doing and i don't have <laughs> i don't know about other portions of the story is doing but dark side infinite multiverses multiverse two things like that very exciting for me but roman i have it on good authority roman statler himself that you gave this book a pretty high score so what did you think what i or just um, i read issue number one of this i didn't read two through five and now six is the end so could you give me this whole thing in a nutshell
1: yeah i think so you know it's one of those Big cosmic DC events, and it follows on the heels of every crisis since Crisis on Infinite Earth. It's all tied in here. The Psycho Pirate and Barry Allen are big parts of this story and the whole multiverse thing. Um, Basically, they discovered in issue two, I think it was, that um, the Justice Society of America, some of their main members had disappeared. And some of them were thought to be dead, and other ones just recently disappeared, like Alan Scott and his daughter Jade and his son Obsidian. And it turns out they were being um, they were sold out by Mr. Bones, who was actually a guy that was introduced in the old Infinity Incorporated series. He used to be a superhero, he's the head, the director of the DEO department right. of X. Yeah, he has a death touch. He's a skull guy. He's a skeleton.
0: He's been in some um, Bendis stuff lately. Yeah,
1: yeah. He has an invisible skin and muscles and bone and, and blood system, but all you see is a skeleton. Well, he sold them out to, uh, I think, to Darkseid. I don't even remember now, but he sold them out to Darkseid because Darkseid could use them to power yada yada something. Um, and Darkseid's trying to not, not, it's not anti-life this time. He's trying to gain control over all of the multiverses for you know some reason
0: (laughs) and i really like that idea of multi-multiverses like which is just like classic comic books of like but we got the universe what if we had a multiverse okay well we've done that for a while what if we had (laughs) multiple multiverses like oh yeah let's get bigger
1: yeah the actual details of this series don't i as you can tell i don't even really quite care about just the ideas like that one of this issue I think Barry Allen discovers or something like the multiverse two which just made me laugh out loud because I was like you know I already got multiverses isn't that redundant to have multiverse two but what the hell let's go with it because it's big stupid goofy cosmic fun
0: so my favorite part of this comic book was the epilogue which is yeah when Barry Allen is running and he stops and he finds multiverse two but I love that idea because Famously, in Crisis on Infinite Earth, the first one, the multiverse ended and yeah. they brought everything back to one single Earth. And then around the time of 52, they rebrought the multiverse back in. So, this idea of this is multiverse two, this is what came before, destroyed by the anti monitor. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. There was a multiverse and then there wasn't, and now there is again. So, that makes sense. And then I love that dialogue because the person who's explaining, who is that a character we've seen before, Pariah? Yeah. He's got that he- monitor costume.
1: Yeah, and he he was introduced in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Okay. He was one that would show up right before an Earth would be eaten by the 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 energy wave
0: and i love oh yeah that's why i recognize him because he's they all know that alex art and stuff yeah um but uh i love that he's like yeah this is destroyed by the anti-monitor in the first crisis the empty hand and gentry fed on it for years and the gentry was the villain in the multi multiversity morrison's multiversity and i don't know what the empty hand is
1: yeah i'm not sure what that is either and i didn't i didn't even recognize gentry so i'm glad you Explain that,
0: yeah, and I also know. I guess at the beginning of Scott Snyder's run, they were sort of talking about like the hands I thought was sort of a metaphor for like the hands of Jack Kirby. So I wonder if that's what that is. But I kind of similar to Defenders 2 this week, I'm pretty into just sort of like jazzy ice skating through big cosmic words of like, you just yeah, you just say some cosmic science babble at me and like as long as it seems like it makes sense i'll <laughs> i'll buy into that and i'm cool and this was yeah. doing that with you know dc continuity and i i really dug that i mean i love dark side when it's done pretty well and i think that this was done pretty well
1: yeah yeah i thought so too and i love a disparate bunch of characters they bring the jsa back and then including some of the um jsa members that were killed back either during christ the first crisis or right after you know, characters like the female wildcat Yolanda Montez who is wildcat on the star girl show and and some of these characters that haven't shown been around for years and it's just you know you got the Thomas Wayne Batman and Captain Carrot and President (laughs) Superman from whatever earth that is and I just love all these all these guys and the fact that uh, I realized reading this I was like I don't know why this never I just I'm, I'm slow folks but in this issue, it occurred to me that Dark Side's talking about anti-life. Well, that's old news. I don't care about that anymore. And for some reason, first time ever, I realized, wait a minute, anti-life. What is anti-life? Well, that would be death. Dark side's always been after death, just like yes. Thanos over at Marvel. Oh, gosh, I never even put that been... together. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. What I
0: really liked is that At one point, it cuts to Earth Zero a few days later, and it's just got some people, random street people talking about, like, wow, this multiverse is crazy. Yeah, it's kind of scary. They're (laughs) drinking beer, and it's got the logo from Multiversity and it's called, it says multi brewery and it's like, yeah, apparently they used hops from different multiverses. Like, okay, well everyone apparently knows about the multiverse, but like such a dumb kind of fun little idea. It's yeah. like a throwaway thing.
1: I had the same thing. I was like, wow. Okay. So just everybody now knows about the multiverse right. and how they get these. And this is recent news. So how they already get hops from different yeah. earths when we just discovered this, like this week, it just <laughs> but, vibed in here, but yeah. And that there's a couple of great pages here where uh dark side is, he brings in his family, you know, Granny Goodness and everybody. And I don't know, there's shadowy figures here. I don't know who the one that seems to be a giant with the horns, it kind of yeah. looks like lo- Loki. I don't know who that is in DC. I was,
0: I was hoping you would know who that is, and I was hoping you would know who on the row right below that is. It's like somebody hanging upside down, chained to a wall, that doesn't look like they have eyes.
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure who that is. And then, you know, the next one's Eclipso.
0: Yep. Or no, the the yeah. Sorry, that one's Eclipse Zone. Sorry, and the next one is Necron.
1: Yeah, Necron. So I was like, oh, cool. I like all these big bads. I'm I just I'm watching the Star Girl series on CW. Season three just started, and and the bad guy for that season is Eclipso. Oh, nice. Like, is that show but, good? You know, it is. It is good. It's a lot of fun. It's Jeff John. It's yeah. You know, and the you know some of the action scenes are pretty cheesy. They're obviously on wires, harnesses, whatever. And I wouldn't say it's a great show, but it's great in the way that everybody in it just so has their heart in their role. I mean, the I don't know the name of the actor that plays Courtney Whitnor, Whit- Whitmore, but she's perfect hmm. in that role. And everybody is just so cool and gung-ho. At The first season, I thought, oh, this is going to be Dr. Midnight, this teenage girl, but I really like her. Now, I mean, she's just so earnest, and she's not athletic. She's not, you know, at all. But she's just super smart and earnest, and it's just a fun show to watch. Hmm. Oh, and Sportsmaster, what a the,
0: what a character!
1: <laughs> I have always thought Sportsmaster was so lame. The guy that plays him on the show—it made me realize, wow, a guy with these abilities would be freaking deadly. <laughs> Cause you know, he's, he, he's a master of pretty much any sport God, <laughs> in the first, in the first, in one of the first seasons, he's, he's uh, throwing up baseballs and hitting them with a bat and he's doing it so quickly and with such accuracy that the the guy he's doing it against is just like helpless. Cause he's like, fuck, i don't like, you can't block all these balls and can't get near the guy. Cause
0: <laughs> that makes me want to watch Smallville. I was watching some <laughs> stuff about Nexium this week and made me want to watch Smallville again. Cause Allison Mack. Um... Oh yeah. What was what was your score for this book?
1: Uh, it was a nine. Nine. Can I, can I tell you one oh, other really yeah, exciting yeah. thing yeah. that we were talking about? the Page where Darkseid's talking, and you can get glimpses of, of these upcoming <laughs> old villains. Double page spread. When you turn a page, Dark and Darkseid saying, is saying that uh, I am not the only one who seeks this power, but only I will control the great darkness. I like that. That's so exciting because. Back in the 80s. The Great Darkness Saga. Yeah, the Great Darkness Saga and Legion of Superheroes. It's I think it might be one of the first times I ever saw Darkseid as like a major epic storyline villain because I had for the New God stuff at that point. So yeah, this is all leading into that. Another major DC crisis event back before they called them crises.
0: It's crazy. I didn't. I read that and I was like, oh yeah, that's a reference to something, but I kind of forget. And then as soon as you said it, I remember that hardcover being in the comic shop oh. before I started working there. Like, yeah, that, you guys had that before yeah. I started working there. I was like, what is that? And I remember that cover very vividly. Yeah. Um. I liked this. I will say that Joshua Williamson, I always really like the toys and the building blocks that he's playing with, but I don't, for whatever reason, always love reading his writing. So that's kind mm-hmm. of like, I love the dark side stuff. I love the multiverse two stuff, um, but kind of when it's like pages of people talking, I found myself really skimming, and I think that's more just a byproduct of kind of like his writing. So I give it a seven point five, but I I really like I really like the blocks, and I think if I was more in touch with like the characters that were brought back here that I don't know that well, like the Justice Society and stuff, it probably would have meant a lot more to me, like Mangog, these characters. Yeah. Um, but uh, I got really excited. And they've got that tease for the Justice League incarnate that's going to be coming out. Like, that's all all exciting. So whatever happens in 2022 that they allude to, I'm, I'm pumped to read.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I'm excited too. It's gonna be fun. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's what he seems to be good at. It's just kind of fun comics. Yeah. Well, the uh, antithesis to fun comics. <laughs> um, let's bring it down, everybody. We don't have Django here today, so like, I don't even feel gassy. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's weird how that that gas gaseousness just disappears. Gaseousness. Uh,
0: Maze book number one is by Jeff Lemire. It's from Dark Horse Comics. It is written and drawn by Jeff Lemire, which doesn't happen super often anymore, but it does still happen um but he writes a lot of stuff black hammer most noticeably but um he's so good at melancholy and i don't think anyone super wants to feel melancholy i don't know it's not like one of those like i like happiness and joy and melancholy but also i am drawn to it and i can't help but feel like maybe
1: roman you're also a little drawn to melancholy yeah you know sometimes I mean, sometimes you definitely don't want to be in a melancholy mood. Sometimes you kind of do in a way because it's sometimes it's just nice for a little self-indulgence. But, you know, we can identify it. Yeah, it.
0: there's something tempting about it also. When you want to feel bad, uh, you just want to feel bad. When you're feeling bad, you only want to feel bad, even though you know you should be feeling bad. And I was feeling kind of down yesterday while I was reading this book. And it was the perfect book to accompany my mood that day, which was just kind of a filled sense of loss and failure, you know, which is just fun, right? But I'm sure some of our listeners can relate to that feeling of uh, loss and failure and inescapable failure. And that's just what we've done with our lives. And I was really feeling that yesterday while reading this, but also I'm always feeling there's a couple of relationships in my life that uh, really fill me with a sense of loss that I carry with me everywhere I go. Um, and some days, well, I hate to quote Bob Dylan, but, um, no, I don't. I love Bob Dylan. I was going to say
1: you love to quote Bob Dylan, Yeah,
0: (laughs) but, uh, to quote Bob Dylan, I've never gotten used to it. I've just learned to turn it off. And Mm. that's sort of what that stuff is. And yesterday I was having a hard time turning it off. And this book is about a guy who, has experienced a tremendous loss. And it looks like it is his, I believe, 11-year-old daughter. And we don't necessarily know for sure at first if it's his daughter or if maybe it's like his wife or something, but he's just this lonely architect. And he doesn't really want the company of people. And he's experiencing this loss. And it's kind of all-encompassing. But I really just love... And then it kind of ends with this interesting tag which was maybe the least interesting part for me, but it was like, he gets a phone call and it's like maybe his daughter who wants him to rescue her, but she's been gone for quite a while. And that, that is, I almost would be more interested in the guy just sort of dealing with loss, but also Jeff Lemire is pretty great at dealing with his stuff, but uh, through comics. But I, uh, I liked this, uh, Jeff Lemire just tackles loss so well and sadness so well and just these ideas of loss but like when you experience loss it's so scary moving on is a scary thing because the idea of forgetting these people is yeah. maybe the worst part of it and like what is your obligation or duty to these people who have meant something to you in the past so um, yeah I just uh, I liked it but I was also really where I was yesterday Roman so I'm curious how it hit you and if you were in a different spot
1: Um, Well, I read it in the twenty minutes, like right before we started recording, Um, or before we got on the Zoom call. But it it hit me. I mean, especially in the beginning, I love how he's talking about. um, He remembers this ratty old sweater of his that I think his daughter used to wear all the time, and how and just the way Lemire describes how our main character um, Will is his name um, remembers all these details about this sweater, but he's worried because he's it's getting harder and harder to remember his daughter's face. And that's, I mean, that's a scary thing. Um, You can't remember the face of, you know, the loved one, but this stupid sweater is burned into your mind. Um, And that's what the guy's thinking about going through his routine, uh, going to work on the subway and everything. And I love how this jumps kind of toward the end of the book where he's talking about how he just wants to, you know, lose himself in his routine. He just gets into his routine, lose himself in that because that way he doesn't have to think about things, doesn't have to think about his loss and his failure. And the guy mentions, you know, his age. And that moment got to me because I have those kind of feelings too. And and this guy met, the character mentions his age. I was like, oh, I'm two years older than him. Fuck. (laughs) And I can definitely identify not with losing a daughter, but with these other feelings of, you know, just kind of bumbling through your days and the routines of things and, and trying not to think about you consider your failures
0: there's this wonderful bit in the middle where he's sort of talking about this idea of accessing those memories of his daughter and it's getting harder and harder to do that um but he says that some sometimes there's this room somewhere deep inside of me and he can only access it on some rare occasion but in this this room um in these fleeting seconds that's where the memories of her live and uh and i just that i experienced that in dream you know, like there's this weird, you have memories on some level, but as time goes by, it's hard to kind of feel the feelings attached with these memories. So um, I will wake up some mornings with vivid feeling, emotional memories from the dreams I've just had. And it's me feeling these things that I haven't felt in a long time from these people. And um, I just really liked the way he was able to word that and describe it because it really resonated with me and what I'm kind of working through right now so I just again Jeff Lemire is not for everybody it's morose and melancholy and uh but I I just think there's this like beautiful honesty and truth to it that I really if you're somebody who gets down with melancholy I think that you'd like his work as a whole but I think this book would be right up your alley yeah
1: yeah and there's uh did he color this too I think he does the color I think
0: so I think he usually does his watercolor stuff yeah
1: um the way he uses color in here too is it's subtle but but when you and now going back looking at it, I'm like wow this is very striking cuz for the most part it's kind of sepia toned or um with some dreamlike. hazy blues yeah dreamlike except for the br- the brilliant reds of the thread from that sweater that's kind of the the through line the visual through line for the issue and then there's memories of his daughter which except for her face are are very colorful
0: yeah he and his art is so polarizing cuz like i think if you were to you know your standard superhero Reader would look at that and be like, Whoa, yeah, that looks like <laughs> shit. Um, but it it's it's like listening to like lo-fi music or something, right? I don't know. There's it's like <laughs> listening to an album recorded in somebody's bedroom. Like there's just this weird honesty that you can't unhear when you're hearing that quality. It's like the sound of somebody needing to get something out and not being worried about how good it looks or sounds. It's like this need to express it. And that's that's what I love so much about Jeff Lemire's art when he is able to write and draw his stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I wouldn't want to see him do jsa necessary, except unless one of the worlds in one of the two multiverses is like <laughs> the jeff lemire superhero world i would love that <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we could check that out um, so what was your score for it well uh i gave it an eight nice M- might have gone a little higher but I kind of felt like, I mean, I really liked the issue, but I kind of felt kind of, especially in the middle, there's some pages just when he's walking around in the streets that I'm, I was like, wow, there's like five words in these three pages, four pages. I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of like, throw some more words in there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> this, is a five, this is a $6 book. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true.
0: We're, ben- we're we have the benefit of not having to worry about price while reading these. So kind of point of privilege. So I was a- almost on the opposite. I I really I give it a 9.5. For me, it was uh really where my mood was at. I was feeling pretty depressed. So it uh I really appreciated the breathing of it. Mm. Just sort of like I, I really felt like I was sort of feeling that emptiness of those pages with him. Um yeah. but I, you know again if i had been jacked up on caffeine and feeling good i probably would have had a to- totally different read of it yeah
1: though there is when you're walking around in that kind of mood and wandering walk, just walking around the streets there isn't a whole lot of conscious thought input going on that kind of captures that emptiness of just the wandering aching, walking around like that
0: aching emptiness of sadness yeah. yeah
1: um
0: okay well aching emptiness of sadness batman catwoman number I'm- seven I love that album. Oh my God, that was some <laughs> of your best work I've ever heard. The fact oh, that you that's... were able to tap into that aching emptiness of sadness, sadness, yeah, the that... empty and mel- melancholy. Is that a Smashing Pumpkins album? I,
1: I really got into that, you know, internal room and and left there with some good some good good bags of groceries. Really good groceries that have yeah. sort of
0: begun to mold at this point. But I just love love watching you do your thing with that that guitar. Tom King, Batman, Catwoman. The big thing, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this issue because we've talked about all of them, but I just want to mention that this was a fill-in art by Liam Sharp, and I've heard he's doing two or three issues. Liam Sharp did the art in, oh, what did they just do? the art? Oh, Batman Reptilian they've been doing art in, and it's like yep. this very digital style, and they also transitioned to that sort of digital style throughout the Green Lantern run that they were doing with Grant Morrison, yeah. and I don't really care for that very shadowy, dark digital style. But this goes back to this more pen and ink style of art. And I I really liked it. But the reason I want to bring anything up is that we've kind of talked about the confusing trio of narratives that's going on in this book throughout all of this. And I think once you get the kind of flow of the book, it becomes much easier to kind of get the three different timelines that are being talked about. But I think it was very jarring to have a new artist come in because the art styles and the things that kind of signified each different narrative and timeline... Um, were kind of based on the art, and when you were, changed the artist, it got a little bit more confusing to be like, "All right, what moment is this?" Like, which so that's that was my read on it, Roman. But I'm curious, how did you walk away from this episode issue?
1: Um, I en- I enjoyed it, but yeah, like you say, and I feel I'm embarrassed that I didn't even I didn't read the credits page and I didn't realize it was Liam Sharp, even though I've read every issue of Reptilian and every issue of Green Lantern that he's done. <laughs> Yeah, and every issue of this, and I somehow still didn't. I know I had, I mean I knew it was different art, but I didn't consciously think, oh, who's this? I liked it, but it was it was hard to tell without those visual markers which uh, which time which time story you were in. In fact, I, I still don't know if this was actually all three of the different timelines, or not timelines, that's the wrong word, all three of the different time frames, or just two of them, because I only identified two of them.
0: <laughs> I do think it's three. Um, there's the like kind of the old person timeline. There's the timeline while Bruce and Suna are still together. And then there's the timeline of them like breaking up. Um, and those second two are really close together, I think. So they yeah, kind of bleed together.
1: I, yeah, I think I run those two together every every issue.
0: <laughs> but the question I have is this is kind of dealing with the, every issue has is had a different Christmas Carol be the kind of theme. The first three pages of this are humping between Batman and Catwoman, which I love seeing. But it's all, oh, come all ye faithful. And the lyrics to, oh, come all ye-, Do you think that's a cum joke? Do you think that's a making a cum joke?
1: I, I actually didn't think that.
0: Do you think it is now (laughs) that I've brought it up?
1: Well, now I do. Yeah. Yeah. 12 page
0: grid of, Oh, come (laughs) all ye faithful with people humping on it.
1: Yeah. And I have to admit, I'm may, I guess maybe I'm not a good reader of this comic because I've gotten so Django's influencing me about Christmas. When I start these issues, I, I often don't even read the, uh, the Christmas carols, I kind of skim past that part. Oh no. Because <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, oh, yeah, n- no. another Christmas carol, big deal. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. yeah Jeff, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta help instill the spirit of Christmas back into me. That was me. my
0: impression of the It's a Wonderful Life Guy.
1: Oh no. <laughs> oh oh <geez>. Roman,
0: no. <laughs> oh come on. I'd be better off without me, Roman. I mean, it's not good, but it's what I can do having not seen it since that.
1: I, I like it. That's a good Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jimmy Stewart. There we go. Um, yeah. Just again, I do love this book and Roman. I'm not sure if you uh, made the connection that she gets trapped in a bank vault at one point and he's got cops coming in and he's going to need to escape, but he's naked. He's a Nicky boy.
1: Yeah. How did, how did Catwoman, did she drug him? how did she get him in there?
0: They were humping. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't even. Know.
1: Just, <laughs> I mean, the way that they they were they weren't humping in the vault, were they?
0: <laughs> I think they were humping in the vault.
1: I, I assume they were. In Wayne manner, Manor, but
0: necky down there. But yeah. um, wrestlers would oftentimes hide razor blades in their wrists, oh, and yeah. and they would cut their foreheads a little bit because there's a huge amount of blood that comes out of your forehead, so it would make the fights look way more violent if they would just secretly put a little tiny cut in their forehead. And the way that he gets out of this vault is by using a razor blade to cut his forehead and then use the blood to smear all over his face so that no one could recognize him immediately and i was like that
1: is awesome <laughs> that was awesome that was my favorite part part of this issue <laughs> yeah
0: um i give it a nine no surprise this book wins me
1: yeah i think uh where what did i give it i gave it oh i also gave it a nine yeah hmm. yeah that seemed oh man that's a beautiful art when the SWAT team breaks into the vault and just they're taking Bruce down and it's all red, except for the pupils, <laughs> Bruce's pupils.
0: I think it's pronounced pupils.
1: Pupples. <laughs>
0: um, I, I, I'm glad that you also dug it. That really is one of my favorite things. And it's no surprise. Um, we got to talk about something. We got to talk about something complex.
1: The, uh, pa- the Palestinian problem. Yeah. Okay. I've been wanting
0: to <laughs> talk about this thing for a while with you on air. No, Snelson. Two, comedy is dead. I have a lot of complex <laughs> feelings about this book that is not on the surface that complex. I kept reading it because the first issue was like, yeah, kind of falls into that like space bastards, space bandits, uh, scumbag, Sharky the Bounty Hunter, like, I don't know, like kind of dirty boy humor that I, you and Django both get into. And I, I appreciate that you guys get into <laughs> it. Um, it doesn't hit me always, but I know that it's good because my two buddies love it—that that dirty boy humor. So I'm I'm pushing forward on this one. Um, but this one made me feel really weird, and I thought there was a, there was a really great letter to the editor in the back that really expressed my feelings on it pretty accurately. But I'm just—you want to? What was your read on this issue?
1: Oh, I'm so curious about this about the letter and your feelings. Um... I, this is the second issue. I liked it a lot. Uh, it went someplace different than I expected from the first issue. The first it, it was a little more, um, not that the first issue was dumb at all, but it was more kind of dirty boy humor. Yeah, dirty boy humor and <laughs> dirty gross sex and everything. And this one, you know, our our quote unquote hero has become a podcaster because he's kind of like ruined his his stand up career. Um, and I liked the commentary this issue. I ended mean, up this person this woman interviewing him is very much uh one of the kind of oh capitalizing on cancel culture by like trying to focus on how it's such a bad thing and everything but she's still a part of it though doesn't seem to realize or maybe doesn't care um So it had a a lot more depth to it, I think, than the first one did.
0: I guess that's my confusing part about this issue, was that, like, I couldn't really tell which side of that conversation it was on. Yeah. Because, like, there are people, like, the main protagonist and this girl are, like, anti-cancel culture people to a very conservative right-wing degree. Yeah. You know, and, like, and then the people, so... And I don't know, like, and then they they meet people in this who are like kind of calling them on that bullshit. But those people aren't serviced super well. So I just found myself being like, what side of this is the writer on? Like, is he trying to talk about how terrible cancel? Because they're they're really getting to the heart of some issues, which is that like, I think that if we really encourage cancel culture, comedy is going to die because we do need to allow comedians to have the freedom to say things like that's what comedy is it's like they bring up challenging ideas i think stand-up comedy has always ridden the line between where society is at and what is over the line like that's kind of what i think really great comedy for me is but in this the people who seem like the enlightened ones are talking about like well do you really need to be able to make a gay joke do you really need to be able to make a fat joke like because you're a comedian and like oh wow how bad would it be if you don't get to do that and i'm like, well. I do think that our main character is a shit bag. And I do think that the girl he's with is a crazy conservative right-wing person, anti-cancel person. Yeah. But I also do believe that comedy is important and cancel culture is terrible. And I just think that this book sets up both sides of that well. And maybe it's trusting the reader to be able to walk that line down the middle. But oftentimes I feel like I'm looking at the writer to be able to get what their, what their viewpoint is. And it doesn't feel like I know exactly where they're coming from. So I guess I want to bring up the letter that I read in the back. Yeah. Uh, and it was particularly poignant because I'm a big fan of Bill Hicks. Um, this is Ahoy there. Every time I see an advertisement for Snelson, comedy is dying, I think about Bill Hicks. I love his comedy, partly because when he was uh, on, he was one of the best I've ever seen. And partly because of the message he always ended his shows with. That truth, love, and inclusivity is the only good path forward unfortunately when i think about bill hicks i also think about the homophobia present in a lot of his comedy and how that stains what would otherwise be an incredible legacy so every time i see an advertisement for snelson i find myself wishing that bill hicks had gotten an opportunity for a redemption tour he certainly deserved one all of which is to say that the books ahoy comics publishes make me think about uncomfortable things and i hope that keeps making you think about or makes. i hope that you keep making things that make me think about uncomfortable things for a long time keep up the good work um And I think if that's the goal of the publisher and the book to make you think about uncomfortable things, it's doing it well because it's making me think about where is this writer coming from and where do I stand? But I also think a lot of culture doesn't think about that stuff to that level. I think they think they're just like either on one side or the other. And they're not really thinking about why the other side believes what they believe. I also think that you know, but like even Bill Hicks, I think maybe some of his stuff was homophobic. But I also think as a byproduct of the time, he was a big shroomer. Everyone is one thing. He loved everybody. Um, You know, I think that I think about Dave Chappelle, I think to be able to make a joke about something, does that mean that you are actively shitting on it? Or are you bringing out the humor in a situation that is inherently present there? And I think I fall into that latter category. But I also can see why some people would not feel that way. So that's kind of where I'm at. I just thought that letter really exemplified how I was feeling about this
1: issue. Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, And that's, yeah, exactly. That's one of the things, like I love the fact that this issue, spoilers, folks, we spoil books on here. Um, at the end of this last page, during you know the recording of the podcast, Snelson, our protagonist, um, just kind of blurts out that he has cancer. And he might be dying, <laughs> give you know, give the double meaning to the subtitle of the book. Um, and I like that because, yeah, he's not a likable guy. He's not as despicable as the woman interviewing him, who he accuses of being like a right wing, alt-right uh, mouthpiece, a tool of them but he's still not a great guy himself and yeah it's such an interesting question because guys like bill hicks and and hell going back to like lenny bruce and don rickles that were you know making fun of everybody and doing all sorts you know making all kinds of jokes and nowadays we'd be like oh oh my um and well even at the time people were oh my (laughs) lenny bruce um but they're different they're they're those kind of comedians have that intelligence behind them unlike say like I don't know, Andrew Dice Clay mm-hmm. or somebody that's just lowbrow, stupid and not good, stupid, just stupid. <laughs> it's kind um, of
0: why I've always liked like South Park, I think, does a good job at making fun of everyone and not really falling specifically on a side. And I think yeah. I think that's what this book is doing. Mm-hmm it doesn't feel like it's super on any side of the conversation. I think the goal is to then make the reader think about the conversation. I think that's really important, yeah. but it also is close enough to feeling like maybe it is on the gross side of a conversation <laughs> that it made me be like, what are my beliefs? And I, and I, I guess I do really like art that challenges and makes us think about our beliefs. So um yeah. even this conversation is going to increase my score from this book.
1: Yeah. and I, I like that conversation too. I mean, the, that, character the young woman interviewing him kind of doing this whatever she's doing a documentary about him or something uh, i think she or he brings up like you know louis c louis ck and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and that's you know a recent example that i still i still wonder about because i think he was a brilliant observational human observational comedian and did some great tv shows but unfortunately also did these horrible things it's like fuck so where do you settle with that
0: and i i am on the side of emphasizing trying to look at people in a multi-dimensional way but i also you know acknowledging the good and the bad but i also know that there's a lot of people who if there's something bad enough it just eclipses the good. And I don't blame them for that. But my life no. experience has sort of taught me that I need to look at both. So it's it's a challenging piece of art. And uh, I'm glad that I kept with it because the first issue did make me think it was all farts and sex humor. And this was <laughs> very more layered than that. So I was yeah. going to give it a 7.5 and I'll give it an 8.
1: And I gave it... Oh, wow. Look at my list because I read it a few days ago. I give it a 9.
0: Nice. Yeah. I, I, th- I think it's a really nuanced conversation that it's having i just wasn't really sure if it was coming down on a side or not
1: yeah and it's and it's surprising how because i thought it was just gonna be another we've had like a slate of stand-up comedian books in the last two years and, yeah and even this cover is i'm pretty sure yeah the color of the shirt and the tie it's it's kind of a caricature of um well, what's, what's his, his name? name? Um the guy with Alan, all the
0: lights behind him.
1: Alan King? No. Um, um that guy's been around forever that does all yeah, the interviews. Larry shows. King. Larry King, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um all right. Well, the next book on our docket is Bountiful Gardens. I didn't make it to this one. It's from Mad Cave. Oh. It kind of got some speculator buzz about it. I know Braden also dug it, but um you read it. Tell me what you think about this one. What was the deal with this book?
1: Well, this is um it's a spooky book, but it's a sci-fi oh. spooky book. Um some people and i don't think it tells you oh it is it's the year thirty thirty. uh so some folks are on a ship on some mission into the deep reaches of space earth people and they wake up out of their stasis chambers like 10 years before they're supposed to which is a problem because they don't have enough supplies uh to account for 10 extra years of needing to eat um and they weren't supposed to stop. They're, they're stopped above a planet and they don't know why they have no idea what happened. So they wake up and it's just, it's a great, one of those great, uh, what would I do in this situation? What would you instantly start wondering if this was like me and my friends, what would we each do? Which, which character would I be? Cause you know, one of them right away, she starts panicking and crying because she quickly realizes we're going to die out here. i would be, <laughs> be the Jango. Uh, and then of course there's the militaristic kind of guy that, jumps into command. is like, well, we got to solve this blah, blah, quit your, quit your, quit your balling.
0: the Ashton. <laughs>
1: uh, and it's just cool seeing each of their different roles, what they do on the ship, what they're going to have to do. Cause they decide they're going to have to go planet side and try and find out if there's people on this planet, if there's food, if there's plants, you know, and then they have to, argue amongst themselves and find out figure out who's going to the planet who's going to stay on the ship um and some other mysteries crop up and they go to the planet and there seems to be a hint of maybe at least to my mind maybe some uh lovecraftian spookiness maybe on this planet because they don't Mm -hmm. find any there's plenty of plant life but they don't find any uh living beings but they do find what look like ancient spooky temples?
0: That final page makes me think Lovecraft. I'm I'm excited yeah. to read this one. We are running out of it at the store. I think there's two or three copies oh. left because speculators are wanting it. And it also, mm. the art is gorgeous. Like it, it really has a, I it's, I would say more detailed than Jeff Lemire, but there's like a, there's almost yeah. a quality of that Jeff Lemire type thing, like a softness, the paper stock. There's a thing about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, there is. There's that softness to it. Yeah. And I'm fine with the art. I didn't think it was anything special, but I didn't dislike it either. I was just like, eh, okay.
0: Mad Cave is a pretty small publisher. So I would I would say that like when I look through their books or I flip through them, um, the art kind of tips me one way or the other. Like, oh, this mm. seems like a kind of low budget one. And this one seems a little higher budget, frankly. But
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. There was, I think that's, I think maybe that's the reason I didn't, there was another book this week that uh, you had mentioned at the uh, Northern Stars or something. Oh
0: yeah, The Last Flight Out.
1: No, the other one with the the oh the nine stones, nine stones, northern yeah. stars, nine hot stones, boys. you know, hot boys, N S either way. But yeah, I think I think the re- maybe the reason I didn't read that is I just flipped it open. I was like, yeah, I don't care about this art, so I didn't pick it up.
0: Nine stones would make a great uh Jeff and Roman Yowie podcast. We need another one of those coming yeah. down the pike soon. Yeah, we well, I... just put Dick Fight Island out soon. That would be great, but.
1: Yeah. Or we can find another one. We can start reading nine stones together.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, in the same room at the same time.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, what did I, you give that one?
1: Bountiful garden. I did give it a nine and a half. That was my high wow. score of the week actually. Cause I just love this kind of setup, yeah. you know, just, and, and just the time they spend establishing how horrible this would be to think, well, we're going to die here on our ship in space. Cause we're slowly going to starve to death and, and, you know, probably go nuts before that. Um,
0: you sold me on it, dude. I like I the cover didn't, but your description like it, it reminds me of like a really dark version of Rocket Man with that guy that wakes up too early in his spaceship and then he eats all the food and farts a lot. And it's like a it's like a Django comedy movie. But um, from when I was a kid, but uh, Rocket, uh, Man. <laughs> Rocket Man, there's I guarantee there's huh. listeners who know that movie.
1: All I can think of is the more recent um, Elton John biopic. Mm,
0: yeah, no different movie. That one was better though. The Elton Uh, John one Um, borrowed that from our good friends, Ryan and Jack.
1: I think you would like it. I mean, it's just such a great sci-fi setup. I mean, I I just, I said that before. I I love that kind of setup where like, how do we survive this horror? And you don't know, you go down to this planet. How are you, you know, you don't know what's down there.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I love science fiction you know and i love sci-fi horror that's well done and i also like cthulhu stuff so i didn't realize there was a kind of a Lovecraftian overtone but i'm i'm on board buddy you you sold me on it and i've got it here to read so i'm gonna cool good um i can't remember if we because we had a couple weeks where we missed podcasts while the store was opening and everything but uh in that time frame cinnamon number no. one came out from behemoth press and this week cinnamon number no. two came out These are by Victoria Douglas. They're written, drawn, and everything is by Victoria Douglas. And what it is, is a book that takes place from two perspectives. The perspective of a woman who is basically the writer creator of it and her cat. And in the first issue, it's as simple as the woman hides some catnip in a cupboard. But most of the book is told from the cat's perspective of trying to get that. And everything is just like super normal and mundane when it is the girl and what's actually going on but from the cat's perspective the owner is like maniacal and uh and everything is epic and huge and there's like some akira overtones in this and the cat is cute and from her perspective but in the cat's perspective it's in this like leather jacket and it's like a super bad cat and uh, it is, I'm a cat owner. I got two cats. I love animals. I love animal perspective. Um, and I think it's just so hilarious. I think every animal owner has a different relationship with kind of their animal and what they think the fuck their animal is thinking about and <laughs> just asinine everyday things. The first one was just putting catnip somewhere. This one was the owner gets a package and it's a laser pointer and she starts playing with it. And it's just like this one brings in the perspective of a fish that lives there And the laser pointer is this like weird rocket entity that like races all around and is destroying the city. So the cat is like chasing it to like get up with it. And in reality, all it's done is like tear up a cat cushion, but it's like keeping this house safe in this epic fashion. And it's like (laughs) smoking cigarettes and his leather jacket and shit. And uh, it, it just tickles me exactly the right way. Rowan, I'm going to show you a picture of the cat's perspective of when a laser pointer is shown. Um, <laughs> and it's just this giant single-page wow. shot of boom the a city being blown up, kind of like an Akira in the Soul yeah. satellite. Um, it is hilarious. It, she started doing it as an art project for her school, um, like an art school project. And uh, she's been releasing it through Beh- Behemoth Press. The art is gorgeous and super fun and very indie. It looks like something you'd find at like Floating World Comics, but uh, it's just hilarious. I think the first issue was a little better than this one, but I loved this one also. It's going to be three issues long. I'm going to buy the paperback and have it. And I think if you have ever had a cat, if you have a cat, if you just like cats, it's hilarious. Or if it's just an animal lover, it just is a wonderful look at um the dual sort of personalities there i gave the first issue a 9.5 i'm gonna give this second issue an 8.5 didn't quite have the continuity that the first issue did because we bring a fish in and it took a little i had to kind of figure out what was going on whereas the first one was all kind of present but the art is great the covers are great it's wonderful cinnamon number two of three (laughs) the cat's name is cinnamon there's a the fish that is introduced he keeps calling him sush s-o-o-s-h and then you realize when the lady is talking that the fish's name is sushi um and it's just dumb cute fun so we sold out of the first issue and got reorders so do do come in and
1: check it out oh what was good that? yeah i want to read the first second ones. when it shows the fish's perspective is it, is it a fish eye panel oh it should be that's a good point i wonder
0: i don't i don't really think it is we get a lot of third person shots of the fish mm. oh okay um, but uh, yeah, no, we do kind of have a fisheye panel for this one. It's a third-person shot of the fish, but it's a fisheye oh, lens shot yeah. there. Yeah. So that what, was... what what
1: I what I see in my head from the fish's perspective would just be panels that are kind of a fisheye lens type of art, and just like. Little ellipses dots because the fish doesn't really have any thoughts. It would just be dot, dot, dot. <laughs> fish are dumb. Yep. I just, I love the idea of like the contemptuous
0: relationship between the cat and the owner, even though the cat just loves, or the owner just loves the cat. But um, before we get out of here, Roman, Mark Russell had a new book that came out today from Vault. Uh, Mark Russell rose to prominence doing DC stuff, then did some stuff over at Dynamite, had a little bit of a falling out with Dynamite for political reasons that I totally agree with. And it looks like he then went to Ahoy Comics and has had a couple books come out from them. Uh, Not all, oh God, he went to Ahoy and did Second Coming. Then he's doing Not All Robots at AWA and I was doing Dead Box at Vault. So he's really doing everything but Marvel. Um, An image I guess but uh, I didn't read this one Mark Russell a new nightfall horror the nightfall is the horror imprinted vault how was this one I have it here in front of me I can't wait to read it because I love Mark Russell but I have not read it yet Um, you know packed it in today and packed it out yesterday while just feeling depressed and couldn't bring myself to read books except for a really depressing book <laughs> everyone gets depressed so uh yeah we all support you if you're in that boat too
1: yeah this and actually this one well it ends up on a depressive note um and i hadn't realized oh yeah nightfall so it's it's a horror imprint um but this particular issue uh it's it's our main character she works in a you know kind of a oh convenience store and they've got one of those big red video boxes i just Um,
0: realized the name is a pun on red box which is what those are and this is dead box
1: dead box and yeah and which i thought oh well that's clever but it's different than I would have thought, because her life, she's taking care of her father, who's who apparently is dying. Um, they can't afford to put him in the hospital. And in, or, in her form of escapism um, is she watches movies out of the video box downstairs in the, in the store portion of their house, their, their building. Um, so then we go kind of into scenes from the movies she's watching and they there and and those are heavily you know mark russell making socio mostly socio-political commentary which i really liked i, I could see why you know some people might not um but i really like that kind of and because mark russell's a liberal i agree with all of his <laughs> political social commentary um but it was interesting because it's not really horror, uh, this first one, because she's watching a science fiction movie. It's all scenes from this movie. And the plot is about uh, an Earth man. We make first contact with another planet. Well, and we send somebody out to go to this planet and make first contact. We've been talking to these aliens and them with us and having good conversations. But something goes wrong or something or they miscalculate. And By the time our lone Earth man gets to the planet, he's gone a little crazy. <laughs> and so when he disembarks the aliens are like oh this are all other things like this this guy's disgusting and you know he's like wearing stained underwear and his clothes (laughs) his clothes are ripped up and he's balding and his hair and beard have gone crazy wild and, and he's you know addled because he's been in space for you know 30 years oh, um, then he's
0: looking as i'm yeah
1: yeah so then they make commentaries about that and the aliens are like like oh well glad you could come visit and they've been praying for praying this for years and they're like uh well we'll see you and they send it back to earth mm. <laughs> and they're just a great commentary about being lost between worlds and space, and her with her dad, and and then at the end, and then at the end, it's, we finally see her father, and and that's when the horror starts to come in. I'm very intrigued. I'm I'm this wasn't exactly what I was expecting. It's it's more than that. It's deeper, and you know I trust Mark Russell, so I'm definitely going to continue with this book. Um, hey, there seems
0: to be some very obvious comparisons like the volunteer, which seems to be part of it seems to be like the rocketeer and he's flying with that backpack yeah. and the font is the same. And then this thing at the end, it says the vanishing man. And that's like a movie hmm. cover reference to what
1: movie? Oh, um, oh, I, th- I want to say that's a visual reference to um, John Carpenter's The Thing. I was gonna
0: say the car- Carpenter one. And is there like a yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what seems to be what that cover is. Um, yeah. yeah, gosh, I need to read it um, Mark Russell is great, obviously I'm curious what Django's thoughts on this one are Because he's kind of the Mark Russell connoisseur I'm curious what your score is And is this in the top half of Mark Russell books Or the bottom half I think Mark Russell hits really hard And really well And then some of his other stuff is just fine And it's not ever, I don't think he's ever done anything bad But yeah. I do think some of it's really good And then some of it is just pretty good
1: yeah. 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 Like, uh, at least with this one issue, this number one issue, I would put this, I mean, it's not as good as Flintstones or, or the plus book, but, um, at least this first issue, I would put it above say like his, uh, Oh, what's his, is it savior, his son of Jesus book. Oh, Second coming. And Second coming. Robots. Would, yeah. Yeah. I put it a little bit above, not, maybe not quite as good as well, not all robots, I'd say. Uh, at least this one issue. I'd, I'd say it's as good as not all robots. Nice. Maybe slight, maybe, maybe half a point below, not all robots.
0: You're so good. Listen, we didn't talk about the Defenders 2 because we didn't have a ton uh, of new stuff to say about it, but I do think that we both rated it really high, so I just want to give okay. an honorable mention to Defenders number 2 by Al Ewing and Javier Rodriguez.
1: We did. It's beautiful, and we get to see the Herald of pre-Galactus I love it. Former universe's Galactus,
0: <laughs> and then that Cthulian, um sorcerer supreme from the age oh. before our age. So yeah, yeah, uh, that's another is...
1: fun cosmic weird book with yeah. gorgeous art, just beautiful art
0: yeah probably the best art in a comic book that came out this week um, Yeah. well that's going to wrap it up for us today we didn't have any extra questions or anything uh, Andrew oh. thanks for we had to put that defenders in because Andrew if we if Andrew was editing this yeah. and he we didn't mention you know defenders good lord uh, he would have done that thing where he marches over to my home and punches me in the jaw and then leaves without <laughs> saying anything Andrew, what's wrong with you um, but uh, this was 239 Roman and I hanging out Django uh, I hope that you're doing well out traveling we are can- care about you. We miss you and we'll hold the store together until you get back and uh in the meantime, I hope that you are doing everything that a, a person needs to do to be
1: happy. Gosh, and get some do, relaxation in. Do you think he's like in a car right now or on a plane? On a I can bus? tell you, I got
0: a, I got a text message from him. Um he said, "Have a good podcast at 9 30 tonight. I'm over here making a bad campfire and fucking up s'mores." So, I think what? he's in like he's, Wyoming or something.
1: They're on they're on a camp, they're out of they're camping. Wow.
0: I think he's alone. <laughs> I think he's alone unless Eric is with him, but I think he's wait, alone.
1: Wait, did he drive? I, I assumed yeah, he's, he's driving. No, oh. he's
0: driving. Yeah. He's doing oh, it so the he's... COVID safe way. Yeah.
1: Oh, wow. So he's just pulled off the road somewhere and trying to eat some graham cracker smaller dinners and-
0: it sounds so good i would love to be alone on a road trip camping alone i love <laughs> camping i was maybe going to camp alone while sam was gone this week and i didn't do it although what's tomorrow sunday night maybe i'll do it tomorrow who knows that- head out to twin peaks twin- oh yeah today is sunday tomorrow yeah
1: tonight's saturday oh today's yeah tonight's saturday okay i don't know i haven't i haven't been camping in years i I miss camping i love it
0: um that was 239 thanks for uh being a part of this with us jango hope you're doing well roman thanks for joining me i am all you can get a hold of us at jeff at the comicsplace.com. send us an email like will does send us a voicemail like andrew occasionally does if you're listening to this and you haven't done that we love it if you are embarrassed and you send us a bad one it will be even better. You would be amazed <laughs> at how gracious we are uh, with a vulnerability, especially Roman and I. And I don't know if Django's even going to be back next week. So it might be a Django uh, or it might be a Roman and Jeff. I think actually Colette's on board. So it might be Colette and Jeff and Roman, but uh, um, hit us up, Jeff at the
1: I am always am Jeff. Who are you? I, I am Roman. As unfortunately, as always.
0: Yes. Not unfortunately. Hey Roman though. While my cat is meowing in the background, I have a question for you. Just something I've been thinking her. about. Yes. What, what is your question? I, I was wondering, we kind of alluded to feeling a little down this week. And I'm just curious, when you're kind of feeling down, what comic-related thing do you go to? You were talking about Stargirl, and that seems like a pretty uplifting thing. I was talking about Ted Lasso. That's not overtly comic booky, although I'd love any answer that's comic book or huh. Ted Lasso-related. But I'm curious... What is that thing that you go to in the world of superheroes, Marvel's, DC, or non superheroes, comic books, that uh, either pulls you out of feeling down or doesn't necessarily pull you out of feeling down, but sort of makes you feel like you have company while you're feeling down? I'm just curious what everyone else is thinking about with that. There are always kind of downer questions when Django's not here, but that's what <laughs> you get, Django, for going out of town. That's 239. We'll see you all for 240 next week. Roman, I love you dearly.
1: I love you.